Hello and welcome back to Quick Shanti, the place where we digest timeless wisdom one bite at a time. Today we're going to be talking about the path of wholeness. We're going to toss aside the suffocating shackles of what it means to be good and explore what it means to be whole, what it means to be human. We'll heed the wise words of Carl Jung when he proclaimed, I'd rather be whole than good. I'd rather be whole than good. So settle in. We've got some juicy teachings here today as we embark on this little journey towards self-discovery and embrace our imperfections, embrace our complexities. But before we go on, let's drop in with a little bit of awareness. Go ahead and release any tension in your shoulders. Pull them up high by your ears and then drop them down and away. Release any tension from your gut. Just let your stomach go. Release any tension from your jaw or from your face. Unclench your fists. You can shut down your eyes if you'd like. Feel your heartbeat. Together we'll take a nice deep inhale through the nose. And hold for just a second. And full open mouth exhale. Good, big release. All right, let's dive into it. The notion of being good has always intrigued me. When I reflect on why, I can think it maybe it's my experience of being a woman and how that has shown me how easy it is to get labeled as either good or bad, you know, the good girl or the bad girl. And let me tell you, escaping the clutches of the latter category is a daunting task, one that feels almost insurmountable. But this phenomenon, it extends far beyond gender and sex. Everyone has their unique experiences coming up against society's propensity for labeling things or labeling behavior as good and bad. But this leads me to the question of what is the true meaning of goodness? I still find myself sifting through you know, religious residue of my younger years where the message was ingrained from an early age that I am a born sinner, that we're all born sinners. And... Really, what does that imply? You know, that the second you're born, you're spending the rest of your life striving for goodness. And there's that word again. One more time, I'll ask, what is this goodness that we're striving for? And what does it mean to be good? Well, my Catholic school brain, it says, be holy. You know, that's that's the spiritual goal. That's how you find yourself back into goodness. You know, do what the holy people do. I think whether you grew up religious or not, I bet a few names come to mind when you think of the word holy, right? The top three are probably something like Mother Teresa, Gandhi, and Jesus. You know, these figures are larger than life. They're, they're almost characters. They are characters in a way. And they're portrayed as flawless. Their biographies, their stories, even their childhoods are seemingly devoid of any blemishes or imperfections. Talk about good PR, right? <laughs> to be holy might mean something different across religious contexts. But I'd say generally, holiness involves being set apart. You're free from sin. Um, you're free from impurities. 
it's this very lofty aspiration to be as close to an image of the divine as possible. But this striving for an idealized version of goodness, this striving to be sinless in the religious context, it's a narrow path. When we place excessive focus on adhering to external standards of perfection, we may find ourselves trapped in a constant state of self-judgment, feeling inadequate or guilty whenever we fall short of these unrealistic expectations. This narrow path, it, it disregards the complexity of human nature and the inherent imperfections that come with it. It fails to acknowledge that being human means possessing both light and dark aspects. When we relentlessly pursue an idealized version of goodness, we push away the parts of ourself that are deemed unacceptable. That fragmentation of self may lead to a profound sense of emptiness, disconnection, and dissatisfaction. You know, it denies the richness and the depth of our human experience. As I navigate adulthood, I find great solace in the teachings of Carl Jung and the concept of wholeness. It's quite funny how similar those two words sound, right? Wholeness and holiness. Now, they could be twins, but they're so different. Striving for wholeness offers us a wide and expansive path that's unique to each individual. It provides the freedom and the space to grow, evolve, and fully accept ourselves. In the pursuit of wholeness, by embracing our complete humanity and accepting all facets of our psyche, both the light and the dark, we can find great reward. You know, we achieve a sense of harmony and authenticity within ourselves rather than conforming to external standards or ideals. Through wholeness, we find a deeper connection to our true selves. Now my guy, Carl Jung. Carl Jung is the very prominent Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst from the 20th century, and he absolutely revolutionized the field of psychology with his profound insights into the human psyche. Throughout his work, Jung emphasized the importance of embracing the entirety of our being, the beautiful parts and the not-so-beautiful parts. In his philosophy, Jung suggests that true fulfillment lies in the striving for wholeness rather than conforming to societal ideals of goodness. Jung once said, I would rather be whole than good. I would rather be whole than good. Now, I really want us to understand Jung's concept of wholeness. What does he mean when he says that he'd rather be whole? Well, Jung believed that each individual possesses a vast reservoir of hidden aspects of the self, and these elements, they reside in the unconscious. He proposed that wholeness emerges when we acknowledge and integrate these unconscious elements. Now, to do this usually requires us to transcend the limitations imposed by societal norms and personal conditioning. It is courageous work. It is hard work for sure. But the reward is that rather than adhering to a fragmented self-image, you get to embrace the totality of your being, the depth of your being. You know, And in that, you unlock the hidden potential and energy that lies buried in those hidden aspects of self. Wholeness means that you live in fullness rather than fragmentation. 
Now, when Jung said, I would rather be whole than good, he's saying he wants to move beyond the good persona. Now, society often imposes very rigid standards of what is considered to be good or socially acceptable. And these standards can create pressure for individuals to conform and suppress parts of themselves that do not fit the mold. The process of socialization begins the second we're born, and it plays a significant role in shaping our behaviors, our beliefs, and our values. During our youth, and really throughout our entire lives, we're exposed to various socializing agents. Think of family, peers, educational institutions, churches, the media. Now, these agents convey societal norms and values, teaching us what is deemed appropriate and acceptable in our culture. We're especially susceptible when we're young, right? Little humans, they learn how to behave, communicate, and interact based on these social expectations, these societal expectations. Now, one example of this that I think our generation is really aware of and conscious of is how this shows up in gender-specific ways. For example... Boys have been known to be socialized to be tough, assertive, independent, while girls are encouraged to be nurturing, gentle, compliant. You know, children may receive praise and rewards when they conform to these gender-specific behaviors or face criticism and negative consequences when they deviate from them. And as a result, they may suppress or hide parts of themselves that do not align with societal expectations. He argued the pressure to conform and suppress parts of oneself can lead to the development of a persona. Now, the persona is the social mask we wear to fit in and present ourselves in a way that aligns with societal expectations. And while the persona, it serves a purpose in social interactions, Jung warned that identifying too strongly with the persona can lead to a disconnection from our authentic selves. Again, this is represented in his declaration, I would rather be whole than good. Young is saying he'd rather embrace his own authenticity. You know, he'd rather embrace all aspects of the self, including those that may be considered less socially acceptable, than to have to wear a social mask the rest of his life. You know, Young encourages us to prioritize authenticity and self exploration, even if it means accepting aspects of ourselves that might be considered unconventional, ugly, contradictory, or socially unacceptable. And this is where the shadow comes in. A central aspect of Jung's philosophy is the acknowledgement and integration of the shadow. Now, the shadow in Jungian psychology refers to the unconscious part of the personality that contains repressed or undeveloped aspects of ourselves. It harbors those repressed and rejected qualities that we deem unacceptable, shameful, or contrary to societal norms. Jung believed that the shadow consists of both negative and positive qualities that we have disowned or denied within ourselves. It represents the part of our personality that we reject, repress, or project onto others. These could be traits, desires, emotions, or impulses that we find uncomfortable or incompatible with our conscious identity, or as Jung says, our persona. Despite its ominous name, the shadow is not inherently evil or bad. It's simply the unrecognized and unacknowledged part of ourselves. To confront the shadow requires courage and self-reflection. It involves exploring and confronting the darker aspects of our personality, bringing them into conscious awareness. 
essentially to integrate them consciously. Now, when we deny or repress the shadow, this only strengthens its influence on our lives. The repressed qualities and impulses within the shadow may find indirect expression through self-sabotaging behaviors, recurring patterns, negative relationships, or unexplained emotional reactions. These unconscious elements can undermine our conscious intentions and aspirations, and this leads to great inner conflict in a sense of being out of control. Now, let's paint a visual of this. Imagine that you are in a pool and you're holding a beach ball underwater. So you're exerting downward force to keep it submerged beneath the water. If you continue to hold the beach ball underwater without any release, it becomes increasingly difficult to maintain control, right? I think we can all remember a time at the pool when we were younger doing this, or maybe, maybe not. Maybe you just did it last week. But the point is, is that the more you hold it underwater without any release, the more it becomes difficult to control, right? It starts moving unpredictably under the water. Eventually, the pressure becomes too great, or maybe we get a little bit tired And this causes the beach ball to forcefully rise to the surface, usually breaks free from your grasp and potentially causes disturbances around you. You know, usually it shoots up, right? It smacks you in the face or it hits your friend in the face. Um, But ultimately, it just has this chaotic and unpredictable nature to it. Similarly, when certain aspects of our inner selves, represented by the metaphorical beach ball, are denied or suppressed over an extended period of time, they accumulate energy and intensity. In this pent-up energy, it's seeking expression. Whether you like it or not, it may erupt unexpectedly, like a beach ball, forcefully resurfacing, and it can manifest in distorted or disruptive ways, impacting our emotions, our behaviors, and our interactions with others. Jung suggests that we aim to not deny these parts of self, but to learn to integrate them into our being. By doing this, we're unlocking all that juicy energy and potential that's been hiding out in the basement of our minds. By embracing our shadowy parts, we get to be our authentic selves. We're living in totality. Now, the journey toward wholeness, toward becoming our most authentic selves, is what Jung describes as individuation. Jung's concept of individuation describes the lifelong process of self-discovery and personal growth, ultimately leading to the realization of wholeness. Individuation involves developing a conscious relationship with the different parts of ourselves and integrating the conscious and the unconscious aspects to achieve a harmonious state. This process requires courage. I've said that word a few times, but it does. This process requires courage, self-reflection, inner work, and a strong willingness to explore and accept all aspects of our personality. The beautiful, the non-beautiful, the shiny, the dull, whatever it is, we're here to accept it. So here is the scoop from Young, right? He drops this gem on us And it's not your everyday advice. Jung says when it comes to integrating the shadow, we must hold the tension. When it comes to integrating the shadow, we must hold the tension. 
Now, what does that even mean? (laughs) It means you have to embrace the battle that's going on between the opposing forces of your psyche or the opposing aspects of your psyche. The concept of holding the tension is like the secret sauce in the process of psychological integration. The opposing forces can be seen as the conscious and unconscious aspects of our psyche. The conscious mind represents our known thoughts, our beliefs, our behaviors, our persona, right? While the unconscious holds the repressed or unacknowledged aspects of self, including the shadow that we discussed. Think of a classic tug of war, right? We've got two teams that are locked in this battle, right? But really, the game goes on when each side is pulling with equal strength, And that tension in the rope, that's what we're talking about here. You know, we all know how tug of war ends. If one team releases their grip or if the tension fizzles out, the game ends, right? It's the same thing here. If we are clutching to the light or if we are, you know, falling into the darkness or pushing the darkness away, um, you know, we're not holding the tension. We're getting sucked into one side or the other. So what Jung is saying here is that we have to find that sweet spot right in the middle. You know, we're creating space for both the conscious and the unconscious to coexist in harmony. It's like finding that perfect balance between the yin and the yang, right? It's embracing the tension, not letting it snap, allowing these opposing forces to dance together in unity. And that's where the magic happens. By holding the tension, we create space for exploration and self-reflection. You know, we allow the conscious and the unconscious aspects to coexist and we resist the temptation to repress or deny the non-beautiful bits. But this process, of course, can be very challenging because it requires us to face our fears, to face our insecurities and um, be with the uncomfortable truths about ourselves. But by staying with the tension new insights, perspectives, new vantage points, literally new vantage points emerge. Here's another way to look at it. Imagine you're standing on a bridge, observing two parts of yourself on seemingly opposite sides. These two parts represent conflicting aspects of your personality, desires, or beliefs. They could be represented by light and dark, reason and emotion, or any other seemingly opposing forces within you. As you stand on the bridge, you're above both sides, right? You transcend the limitations of both sides. You become the witness, the observer who can see beyond the duality. And from this vantage point, you gain a broader perspective and a deeper understanding of both parts as they exist together, you know, not cut off from one another. Rather than identifying with one side or the other, you hold the tension between them. You embrace both sides and you accept that both parts have valid needs, have valid perspectives. You know, instead of seeing it as an either or situation, you move into a third paradigm. You move into a state of both and. When you embrace the totality of who you are, when you hold the tension, when you rise above, you no longer need to choose between the conflicting parts of yourself. You can be all of it. All right, I'm going to close out with just some very practical suggestions, very high level suggestions, five to be exact, on what you can do to start getting curious about the different parts of yourself that aren't just in the conscious, that 
are more than just the light aspects of self, right? I think our friend Jung would agree with me. Maybe I'm biased, but um, these are some practices that I've used that I've had a therapist recommend to me, and I think it's all in the name of depth psychology, so let's get into it. So first off, let's dive headfirst into mindfulness, right? Yes, I know, the panacea that we just can't get enough of here, mindfulness. So within mindfulness, we can develop habits like self-reflection and self-awareness. And in these habits, we can identify and be aware of those different aspects of self that aren't always brought forth in the persona. You know, we can begin to know them, to learn their textures and colors. We can even give them names. We can make them into characters and really take time to observe thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. But the key here is, of course, the same key with mindfulness is to approach this without judgment. The second we judge or criticize those, um, those unconscious parts of self, it's like they run into hiding, you know? This is about embracing. So be open, be mindful, be self-aware, just little practices, little reminders. But we already know this. We talk about this all the time. Now, this is sort of an extension of mindfulness, but explore your projections and your triggers. So really pay attention to situations where you find yourself strongly reacting or having strong emotional responses to others. Are these reactions projections? You know, are they your own disowned or unconscious bits that are trying to speak to you? Um, you know, take a moment to ponder and ask yourself what it is about that person or the symbolism of the situation that is causing such emotional turmoil. There's a lot of truth hidden in things like anger and jealousy um, that can point to, yeah, undeveloped parts of ourselves that are seeking expression. All right, now a little bit more of a fun task. <laughs> Get creative, bust out that journal and start pouring your mind onto those pages. Write freely with no censorship. Let your thoughts flow, feelings, desires, let it all flow out of you. Um, you know, a lot of times with creative outlets like writing and painting and even dancing, singing, you know, we bring out emotions that we normally wouldn't in our day-to-day -day settings. So lean into these outlets to explore, you know, what elements of self might be hiding out in the unconscious. Like I said, like we've talked about today, like Jung says, these parts of you are seeking expression and if we don't do them consciously or give them channels consciously, they might show up in different ways that are a little less out of our control. Now, this is another classic one that sort of pervades everything, but embrace compassion and embrace self-acceptance. So approach your shadow work with compassion. Um, I think for this, I like to have a mantra to cling to, to pull me back to center. If I start to feel negatively about a part of myself, right? If I start to lose the tension, if I start to, to let go on that tug of war, um, you know, I find it's helpful to anchor yourself to a mantra. So the one we shared today that I said about a million times today, I would rather be whole than good. That's a great one. That'll snap you right back. You know, it could be something else like I'm deep and vast and I have space for all parts of myself, I found that exploring 
biographies of others. It can be someone you admire, someone you don't know, a renowned historical figure, just a random person, whatever it is. Biographies are a very captivating and enlightening way to find compassion for others and compassion for yourself. We learn about different walks of life, different narratives of individuals, and we gain direct insight into all of their layers of human experience, their triumphs, their struggles, their personal growth, their own dark shadows. Biographies, they serve as windows, very clear windows into the rich tapestry of human existence. They can help us foster some empathy towards different perspectives for others, for ourselves. Sometimes we just need that reminder that wisdom, that we're not alone in our humanity. So avoid judgment and self-criticism and try to cultivate an attitude of curiosity and understanding toward your shadowy parts. Now, lastly, seek professional guidance. Um, Now, I know not everyone has the resources to do so, but if you do, um, consider working with a qualified therapist or a counselor that's experienced in things like depth psychology or shadow work. A lot of times you can ask them specifically if you are sourcing and like looking and researching for a therapist. Some of them do specialize in these areas. So give it, a, yeah, give it some research and see what you can find. But of course, we can only do so much on our own. You know, um, these professionals, they can provide guidance, support and create a safe space for those who are exploring and integrating their shadow aspects or unconscious aspects of self. Now, in the pursuit of individuation, we embark on a very courageous quest to explore the vast landscapes of our psyche. We delve into the depths of our unconscious and we shine a bright light on the shadows that have been long shrouded in darkness. And this is a sacred exploration. Remind yourself of that. You know, we're encountering the forgotten fragments of our being, the aspects of ourselves that have been cast aside, denied, deemed unworthy. They're all parts of you, right? They're you. So with compassion and curiosity, invite them back into the wholeness of your being. As Jung said, this is a lifelong journey. And as we traverse this path, we learn to navigate the intricate dance between the conscious and the unconscious aspects of our psyche. We discover that the challenges and trials we encounter along the way, they serve as guideposts and they urge us to face our fears, to confront the limitations that hold us back. Depth psychology, or Jungian psychology, whatever you want to call it, that's what we're discussing here today. It's all about uncovering and revealing the messages that come to us from the depths of our being. Through this process of self-discovery, on this path to wholeness, we forge our unique identity. We learn to stand tall in our truth and express the essence of who we truly are, untethered from societal expectations. Your unique expression in the world becomes a catalyst for creativity and innovation. This journey towards wholeness, it not only benefits you and your personal growth, but it also has a ripple effect, influencing the lives of those we encounter. By authentically expressing who you are, You're creating a world that celebrates diversity, fosters a sense of interconnectedness among all human beings. In the end, our wholeness is our humanity. That's what connects us. Our wholeness is what it means to be human. I would rather be whole than good a million times over. All right, that's all we have for today. I hope you find some solace and some inspiration in this teaching. 
And yeah, hop on that path to wholeness, baby. That's, that's where it's at. Thank you so much. As always, I'm really, really grateful. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And until next time, stay curious.